0: Welcome to The Dividing Line, James White, along with you on a Thursday. I am the uh, popular internet apologist, joined today by the popular internet producer uh, in the other room, Uh, and uh, we are here with you again during the Great Panic of 2020, Uh, and that's exactly what it is, the uh, takeover of the technocratic totalitarians, and uh, uh, yeah, so here we all are. Uh, Some of you are working your eyeballs out. Um, (laughs) it it is strange, just really briefly, I'm not going to dive into this, don't have enough time to, but I know some people are doing really, really well right now. Um, and then I, then we, the new numbers out today, 26 million unemployed, 26 million, uh, gone from record employment to record unemployment in only two months. Um, all to the benefit of one particular organization, interestingly enough, called the CCP. Just, just, just get get used to the CCP. They are now everywhere, and if you don't know what the CCP is, uh, you're not even in the fight yet. Um, it's called the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, anyway, um, the uh, the reality is there are there's. There are some people who are just working, 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 working. Evidently, whoever delivers toilet paper to the closest Target store to me is not working because <laughs> I, I can go back two months on my phone. And every time I walk over that aisle and it's completely empty, I take a picture. Uh, and so I can go back and it's there. There ain't no, they, they are they're falling down on the job. No choice about But the reality is, there's, there's certain people doing real well. And I just hope those of you who are will remember those who are not. Um, um, that's that's just going to be what we're going to have to do amongst believers uh, to uh, help each other out. By the way, real quick announcement: uh, Tomorrow we have another guest going to be on the program. I know we, we, we this will be our third guest in only two weeks. That's for us. That's pretty unusual. I'm about. I have about as many guests as Rush Limbaugh has on, um, which isn't a lot. Um, but uh, I am going to be joined tomorrow by the smartest guy I've ever met, the smartest man I know, uh, who combines. He's the only person I know who combines massive intelligence with massive humility, and that is really unusual. Really, really unusual. Uh, a dear brother in the Lord, Dr. Jason Lyle of Biblical Science Institute, will be with us tomorrow on the program, and we're going to be talking stars and stuff like that. I've asked him specifically, I have a favorite star. There are hundreds of billions of stars, though, interestingly enough, I was looking at something. I wrote up this thing for one of the uh, sisters at our church, real special lady. It was her birthday, and so I wrote up the longest birthday greeting— Ever to be posted on, <laughs> on Facebook um, well it was for me anyways uh, and I went through all this stuff about how big the uh, how how f- the distance of the planet's uh, orbit around the sun, and then I talked about you know the six hundred million uh, tons of hydrogen being fused into helium and in the core of the sun and how long it takes that energy to escape and then travel out to the planet and the planet's moving at this speed and the sun's moving at this speed and the galaxy's moving at this speed and then by the time i got through with all that i said what were we talking about again um but so i'm i really like that kind of stuff and i i broke out the scope again uh, last week and uh, was was looking at stuff. Got up really early uh, last week, and actually, it's new moon, new moon was last night, so this would be a good time for viewing. There's some stuff I need to be doing on that too. Um, but long story short, I um, I took a glance, uh, stared for a while at my favorite star, and like I said, when I was doing some reading, there. While we know there are hundreds of billions of stars, in actuality, to the naked eye. There are only about 9,900 visible that you can actually pick out. Otherwise, you just get fuzz. Now, of course, my naked eye is a whole lot worse. (laughs) There's only a couple hundred anymore. Um, But uh, uh, we know they're out there, billions and millions of stars. How could you have a favorite star? Um, Well, I do. It's called Alberio. Look it up. Uh, It is... To our view, through a telescope, a binary star. Actually, that's one of the things we're we'll be talking about. Is it really a binary? Uh, is it a triple, a quad? Uh, there are there are questions about that, and I've asked uh, if he has time uh, for uh, Jason to look a little bit more into Alberio. We can talk a little bit about that, but we're we'll talking about other stuff as well. Uh, Saturn and Jupiter are, uh, are close by Mars right now in the mornings, and we can take a look at that. Talking about God's beautiful creation out there with Jason Lyle tomorrow uh, at the same time on The Dividing Line, so make sure to join us at that particular point in time. Now, today on the program, um, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm clearly enjoying Um, the work that I'm doing in responding to, uh, the provisionists and specifically Ken Wilson's dissertation, I'm enjoying it far too much. I'm enjoying it far more than they are. Let's put it that way. I understand that, uh, yesterday, a day before yesterday, um, uh, Leighton Flowers posted a three hour video, three hour video. Yes, sir. What? Oh no, I was just going to say you're clearly in your element. I can see it. I, as soon as you started digging into this, it's like this is this is something he loves. Oh, I, this I love. You eat it like candy. Yeah. You love it. And it's like it, it, you you walk into they walked right into the wall and the wall loved it. <laughs> they they invited me to do it. They challenged me to do it. They they made it very clear they didn't think anybody could could put a dent in this thing. And it's like okay, um, hey, I'm getting, to, I'm getting to study stuff and go deeper into stuff that I've, I've studied in the past, but it's great to be able to go deeper, yeah. get more resources, and explain it to everybody else. It's a lot of fun. By the way, there's nothing on the screen out there. Oh, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I love seeing all the interconnectedness. And like I said, investing this time is going to help... If you listen, if you take notes, if you're willing to to learn, we are going to create a better-grounded group of apologists to deal with all sorts of subjects, whether it's Mormonism, uh, atheism, Islam, um, what's been my mantra for years. There are two classes I took in college and seminary that helped me the most in apologetics. It was Greek and church history. And so yeah, we're gonna I'm enjoying it. I I've had a few people contact us and say you're enjoying it too. Uh it seems though that people who enjoy this kind of stuff are not the most talkative people. Um, they just enjoy it and go on about their business. Uh if you're not enjoying it, I apologize um ahead of time. But uh be yeah, it as it may, I'm I'm enjoying it. And so as I work through the um the dissertation primarily uh, in its uh, PDF form online, actually. Uh, And in fact, um, why don't you, uh, why don't you show this? This is, um, it's strange. As I said, we purchased uh, the PDF version. Uh, Dr. Wilson had sent the paper version. And so, but you know, paper is, paper's is tough. Um, and so here is the online version. Now it's, it's not technically a PDF. Uh, this is from the more um, website where once you purchase it, it, it goes into your library. And so you can see, you've got, uh, you can, you know, click on chapters and stuff over here and move around. And the, the search, engine is okay it will search the entire document that's somewhat helpful but it doesn't uh, give specific numbers um so like if you export as a pdf and then search it that way you can actually get numbers instead of having to sort of like guesstimate which um is weird but um so this is uh right at the beginning this is in this to me is one of the key issues uh, you'll notice over here Uh, The Philosophical Religious Context, 2000 BCE to 400 CE. Um, And you've got Gnosticism, Stoicism, Kikoro, Judaism, including the Qumran sect, Neoplatonism, and Manichaeism. So, since, obviously, the assertion being made in the popularized version, uh, the book, uh, and being promoted in interviews with Leighton Flowers, uh, is that Reformed theology is Manichaeism, um, and so even to the point of calling us Manichaean Christians, um, and that kind of thing, then obviously this section is extremely important. What is established, and especially what is established in regards to the hermeneutical methodologies, interpretations, and worldviews of these various groups? Because if you're going to say that your central thesis, duped uh your're your're that's that's ken wilson's self proclaimed definitional statement dupied, d u p i e d uh divine unilateral predestination of individuals' eternal destinies um some people suggest dropping the i so this is just duped <laughs> but fairly close um then you're going to have to provide that kind of argumentation. You're going to have to, if you're going to say, if you put Stoic, Gnostic, Manichaean in a single row in regards to determinism, when everybody who comments on any of these areas recognizes fundamental distinctions, differences, and category differences between different Developments in Manichaeism, different kinds of Gnosticism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then this is where your argumentations have to be is in this particular portion of the uh, of the material. So one of the um, things that I'm looking at, looking at a number of things at the same time, obviously, is the commentaries about the Qumran community. It, it is um, providential. <laughs> to use that term, it is providential that um, I had the opportunity uh, to visit Qumran um, not too long ago and to lead a Bible study um, on the person of Christ with the background right behind me being Cave One uh, from Qumran, um, which is just... I mean, I really hope we get to go back there. I really do. Um, I, I'm hoping, you know, please, people start thinking this through and drag us out of this, uh, this, this depression. But I, there, there are powerful political forces that want to use this to fundamentally change the world. And uh unfortunately we're all going along, going, okay, yeah, yeah. we gotta flatten the curve. Doesn't matter about the other curves, but doesn't matter how many more lives will be lost doing it this way, but 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 we gotta flatten the curve. We we we've been being prepared for this, I guess. Anyway, um I hope we get a chance to go back there, but it was a bucket list thing to do, uh to be staying there uh right at Qumran and, and to think about what man, living in a place like that. Um, I live in a desert, but it's a beautiful desert, and it's got stuff growing in it. There is nothing out there. It's just, whew, Uh not very far from Sodom and Gomorrah, actually. It's just rather interesting. Anyhow, um, so I'm looking at the discussion of—and remember, it came up in the interview. We've played the interview, um, and it, it came up in the interview, the discussion of the Qumran community. That's how it's pronounced— um, And the uh, idea of there being, you know, just determined by stoic, deterministic philosophy and things like this. And so once I started digging into this, I ran across um, this discussion. And it's very interesting um, that Wilson has a particular perspective in... Anything that disagrees this perspective has already been refuted. Now, it doesn't have to explain how it's been refuted, just all you got to do is put a footnote in and and he uses... Most scholarly works would say such and such a perspective was disputed by so-and-so who pointed out this. Uh, In Wilson's work, it's so-and-so was refuted. Footnote. No explanation. No. It's just... And so you can't make a judgment... Uh, just by someone saying, well, he was refuted. I found it, again, very... I've read a lot of dissertations. This one is way, way out of the mainstream. Way out of the mainstream. Um, in On on many, many levels. Um, so, a discussion is taking place in regards to the perspective that you'll find in the Dead Sea Scrolls. What we would call the Dead Sea Scrolls, the... the, the Qumran Communities Library. And yes, there are, you, you must understand, we're less than 100 years out from the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. What that means is there's, there would be an initial flurry of scholarship, depending on how fast things are being released for examination. Initial flurry of theory, then the next step is the analysis of these things. You get synthesis. Uh, One scholar notes this, one scholar notes that. Hey, you put those two together and there's this. Um, And then there's the debate. And then you start getting some settled conclusions. Um, But then a next generation is going to come along and say, hey, have you noticed this? And so there's still good, valid, important work being done in regards to what was discovered at Qumran that's now generally completely available. It wasn't initially, but pretty much now. And so, um, very thankfully, like I said, I've got, you know, books, I've got paper. Um, My uh, Accordance Library is thoroughly furnished with everything from Qumran, thankfully. Um, And so... One of the uh, statements that was that I found in the in the dissertation caught my caught my eye, and so uh, Wilson is quoting from various sources, uh, including uh, Charlesworth and Merrill and 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 others who have uh, written on this particular uh, subject. And uh let me just read you what it says. But Merrill tries to salvage belief in the free will and accountability, despite his own substantial evidence questioning his conclusion. God creates the wicked for the sole purpose of destruction for his glory as an example to the non-elect. And then there are references given. Um 1QH, 15, 17, 19 through 20, 1QS. Now, the When you, when you hear 1Q, 4Q, followed by a letter, or sometimes a series of letters, um, these are the designations used to identify the various scrolls. Now, those scrolls, those sources, may have names assigned to them, but they also have an index because some people use different names. And, of course, when you're reading earlier materials... Um, they may only have the names before the index became the popular way of identifying things, so on and so forth. Um, Wilson is not consistent on this. For example, he he, his, he gets those citations right, but then afterwards starts just citing um, 10, 5 through 7, 2, 2.25 without giving the scroll. So you're not even sure exactly what he's referring to at this particular point in time. Maybe he just assumes it's the last thing he cited. I don't know. I haven't checked it out yet. Anyways, so you get the uh, get that context. God creates the wicked for the sole purpose of destruction for his glory as an example to the non-elect. Quote: All aspects of of creation have been formed, yet sad, it looks like that's a dalit, not a resh, given the way it's appearing on the screen. To a uh, To achieve God's purposes, with Yetzad meaning to implant a tendency, God controlling man's knowledge and plans and assigning humans lots or destinies before birth. Because every action of man is predestined, even his thoughts and knowledge must be given by God. Merrill 35, he summarizes, God has sovereignly determined without any merit on the part of any man to save some of them from destruction in the eschaton, and from moral and spiritual bondage in the here and now. Everything man has for which to be thankful is the result of grace. This leaves the reader unprepared for Merrill's conclusion, God's foreknowledge preserves free will. In Qumran, here's here's what we're focusing on. Here's the statement. This is a Wilson statement. This is not a Merrill statement. In Qumran, God's foreknowledge was irrelevant to humans. Now, a reference is given. We're going to look at the reference from Qumran. But, once again, one of the problems is that what we have here is confusing theological terminology on the part of Ken Wilson. There's a lot to be discussed in regards to what foreknowledge is supposed to mean, what it means biblically, what it meant historically. Foreknowledge is one of the Gnostic eons. So that obviously has a completely different... You have forethought, you have the afterthought, you have foreknowledge. Obviously, that's a completely different context. Or is it? We don't know. We can't tell from from Wilson's statement. But I want to look at the phrase, In Qumran, God's foreknowledge was irrelevant to humans. The reference is 1QH18.3-9. So, we're talking about Cave 1, H, 18, 3 through 9. What is that? Well, uh, that... Thank you very much. Would you please? Thank you very much. There you go. The That particular uh, program, I'll take over the whole computer. Uh, 1QH, there's 1QHA, 1QHB... Um, Actually, there's one QHA. this one is, is the Hadayoth. It is the Psalms of Thanksgiving. Psalms of Thanksgiving. Uh, described in the Dead Sea Scrolls Index as a list of personal prayers and psalms which some scholars have suggested may have been composed by the Teacher of Righteousness. Written in Hebrew uh, and clearly popular amongst the Qumran community. I want to read some of this to you. I hope you don't mind. Uh, we've been reading you stuff that you've otherwise probably would not read, um, but I think it's important. Uh, I'm going to start back in 17. Uh 23. 1723. We're going to be reading into 18. Now there are, these are fragmentary, there are holes. Uh, some parts are better than other parts. This isn't as, as, in as good a shape as the uh, Isaiah scroll, for example. So I will, there'll be some breaks, some skips, some things like that. But you, O oh my God, for you plead my case, for in the mystery of your wisdom, you have reproved me. You hide the truth in its time until it's appointed time. Your chastisement has become joy and gladness to me. And my, ag- my agonies have become an eternal healing and unending break. The contempt of my enemies has become a glorious crown for me and my stumbling eternal strength. For by your break and your glory, my light has shined forth. For you have caused light from darkness to shine for me. You bring healing for my wounds, for my stumbling wonderful strength and infinite space, the distress of my soul. You are my place of refuge, my stronghold, the rock of my strength, and my fortress. In you I take refuge from all, blank, for an eternal escape. For you, from my father, have known me. From the womb, you have set me apart. And from the belly of my mother, you have rendered good to me. From the breast of she who conceived me, your compassion has been mine. And the embrace of my nurse, blank, and from my youth, you have shined the insight of your judgment on me. With a sure truth, you have supported me, and by your Holy Spirit, you have delighted me. Even until this day, break, your righteous chastisement is with my, break, and the protection of your peace delivers my soul. With my steps is abundant forgiveness and bountiful compassion when you enter into judgment with me. Until old age, you shall provide for me, for my father did not know me, and my mother abandoned me to you. For you are a father to all the children of your truth, and you rejoice over them as a loving mother over her nursing child. As a guardian with his embrace, you provide for all your creatures. Then there, we move from a um, full portion of the scroll to a very damaged portion, okay? But it gets better. It just, right now... Um, I give thanks to you, O Lord, for you have increased without number, break your name by doing wonders, break without ceasing, break his insight, and they praised, break. And then you have 18.3, which is the beginning of the citation in the dissertation. Okay, so now we've gotten the previous context. I wanted to give you a flavor of what was in the previous context. So, 18.3 is the plan of your heart, break on both sides. So you can imagine what this looks like if you're thinking about if you're if you're thinking about you know P45 here, here's your breaks. And so as you get farther down, you're gonna have more breaks, more breaks, more breaks as you get farther down into a fragmented uh ancient manuscript, which is what we're dealing with here. So the plan of your heart is the first line. Uh, and without your will it shall not be. No one so, so there's the first. Without your will, it shall not be. No one understands all your wisdom and the counsel of your mysteries no one observes. What then is man? He is but dirt. Break. From dust he was formed and to dust he returns. But you give him insight into wonders such as these and make him know the counsel of your truth. I am but dust and ashes. What can I plan unless you delight in it and what can i consider for myself apart from your will how can i show myself strong unless you maintain me how can i understand unless you have formed it for me how what can i speak unless you have opened my mouth and how can i reply unless you have given me insight now that's through the end of the citation that's the whole citation from the dissertation 3 through 9. I'm going to read a little bit past that. Behold, you are chief of the gods and king of the glorious, lord of every spirit and ruler over every creature. Apart from you, nothing is done, nor is there any knowing without your will. There is no one beside you, and no one approaches you in strength. No one can compare to your glory. And as to your strength, there is no price. Who among all the celebrated creatures of your wonder can summon the strength to stand Oh, it skipped. To stand before your glory. So what then is he who returns to his dust, that he should summon strength? Only for your glory you have done all these things. Blessed are you, O Lord, God of compassion and rich in mercy, for you have made these things known that I might declare your wondrous works and not keep silent day and night. Okay? Hymns of Thanksgiving. Now, a couple observations. Be honest with me. If we were to put that, take the brakes out, make it smooth it out a little bit, but if we were to put that and some quotations from Isaiah, the Psalter, maybe Jeremiah, into a test, how many Christians, honestly, would be able to tell the difference between that and what's canon scripture? honestly. Was there was there anything there that stood out? That would make you go, "Ah, see?" No, not really. Not really. Why? Because what you heard is steeped in biblical language. Steeped in biblical language. Now, part of the scholarly discussion is well, what were the influences upon the Qumran community? And there's nothing wrong with asking those questions. Don't get me wrong. But isn't there a real obvious primary influence? Isn't it rather clear? Um, this, was, this is 1QHA. That means it was found in Cave 1. What else was found in cave one well let me let me show you what else was found in uh, in cave one um, Did I put that in a different oh oh I didn't okay you got that um this was found in cave one and if you recognize it. It's the great Isaiah scroll. In fact, I queued it up for you here. Um, Let me zoom in. Sorry for those of you who are listening. But um, right here, this is from Isaiah chapter 40. And it reads just like what we have in the Hebrew Masoretic text today. This is one of the great things about uh, the Isaiah scroll. We've talked about this before. Uh, the Isaiah scroll, clearly part of what becomes the Masoretic tradition. The Leviticus scroll that has now been digitally uh, unwound um, and read, same thing, part of the Masoretic tradition, very, very clear. What this proves is the text does not have to change over time. It doesn't mean all text didn't change. What it proves is the text does not of necessity have to change over the course of a thousand years. And so here is uh the Isaiah scroll, and here is Isaiah 40, 26. Now, what why do I say that? Because I want you to hear, I'm going to read, and you can leave it up. I mean, well, I don't I don't care. Um If people want to look at the ugly Scotsman reading, that's fine, too. Um, I just want to read a portion of Scripture to you here. And I want you to compare it to what we were just reading and what is on the screen. And I'm going to be reading from an English text, read a lot faster that way, um, some of what you have on this, In fact, all of this is on the screen right now. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding, and who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust, even Lebanon is not enough to burn, for its beasts enough, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and the silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the vault of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless." Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal, says the Holy One? And then finish with verse 26, which is right down here, right in front of me, right there. Lift up your eyes on high. And see who has created these. Now, some translations will put the word stars in. The word stars doesn't appear, but that's obviously what it's referring to. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Now, let me remind you as well of another text that is vitally important well, you can there you go i have read it in your hearing before let me just read because it it fits ident directly with the qumran Hymn of thanksgiving. Let all the earth fear Yahweh, Psalm 33, 8. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. Yahweh nullifies the counsels of the nations, he frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Direct parallelism, we've gone through Psalm 33 before, but let me just again point it out to you, It says that Yahweh nullifies the counsel of the nations, frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. That is a direct statement that the sovereignty of God is not based upon foreknowledge. It's not based upon looking down the corridors of time and acting in light of that. It is his counsel and his plans that stands forever, and he nullifies and frustrates the human counterpart to that. And so when you look at Isaiah, when you look at what is said there, you have the one true God, who is the creator of all things, who's accomplishing his purpose and his will. That's what's going on in Isaiah. His purpose and his will is accomplished in the created world and in the world of man as well. And so as a given, Isaiah 40, 26, which is what we are looking at in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Isaiah Scroll itself, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, these, it's just it's literally these things. But if you look up, you're, you're not going to be doing that during the day, obviously. So the stars, who has created these things? Well, in many of the religions of ancient, the ancient world, those were actually divine beings themselves, part of a pantheon. But from a biblical perspective... This is the one true God. He leads forth their host by number. In other words, there's organization, there's purpose, perfect knowledge of the entirety. Because of the greatness of his might, I'm sorry, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing in other words, is out of, might we say, they out of orbit, out of his control. This is amazing because, and maybe maybe uh, Jason and I can talk about this tomorrow, um, but Sagittarius A-star, the massive black hole at the center of our galaxy, which we've only known about for less than 20 years, less than 20 years, We have um, images of how this thing can take stars that are five times the size of our own and whip them around at over a million miles per hour. Whip them around at over a million miles per hour. That's how powerful it is. Not one of them is missing. None of that activity is random. In the scientific perspective, it's all random. What the scripture is telling us is none of it's random. When a star falls into a black hole, there are some fascinating images now of stars getting torn apart by a black hole and sucked into it. Do you think God didn't know about that? Oh, this is, this is where you find out whether you really believe whether, this is where we seriously, folks, those of us who have gone through education and stuff, do you really, really believe this is divine? Or do you automatically do what Biologos does? And put a filter over this that filters out certain elements of the supernatural nature of this revelation. That's the question. That's the question. Do you believe this is divine? Oh yes, this is one of my Jeffrey Rice rebinds, by the way. I just just thought I'd hold it up right. so you can see that there. So. there you Has that beautiful Cairo on the front? Yeah, so soft, so wonderful. Anyway, do we really believe it? because the world says and the vast majority of teaching people teaching in old testament classes say that what we're reading in Isaiah chapter 40 is just simply ancient mythology placed in hebrew scripture and has nothing to do with what we can now discover in regards to Sagittarius A star the massive black hole at the center of our galaxy and all the rest of that kind of stuff personally I think a lot of that cool stuff out there is what God's going to be revealing to us in eternity. I think that's going to be awesome. But, do we believe it? Do we believe it? The point is, this is, a, this is an awesome God who is accomplishing his purpose in the very mechanics of the created universe. So how in the world can we be so incredibly arrogant as to think that he can control stars. That, that he is accomplishing his purpose in black holes. And whipping massive stars around at a million miles per hour. But, but, <laughs> he can't control the will of man. He wants to, he wants to save, but he really can't. Unless man cooperates with him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there are people who really, really do believe that. Now, the point of all this is there was nothing... when, when it, Going back to the statement from the dissertation... Um, Something going on in Twitter that I'm obviously not paying attention to. Um, Here, the the statement again, in Qumran, God's foreknowledge was irrelevant to humans. And then we had what I read to you cited as the basis for that. I don't see the connection to you. What it was talking about is, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a strong emphasis... Upon God is God, man is made of dust, and God's will is all-encompassing. Um, the plan of your heart, without your will it shall not be done. No one understands all your wisdom. The counsel of your mysteries no one observes. What then is a man? He is but dirt. He was formed and to dusty returns you give him insight into wonders such as these so here's here's part of the importance of revelation and make him know the counsel of your truth so there's a reason why god is revealing his truth he's accomplishing something in this world and we as his creatures are to respond to these things i am but dust and ashes what can I plan unless you delight in it? Isn't that Psalm 33? Isn't that Isaiah 40, 41, 42? Is, isn't that exactly what is what is said in Scripture? The point is, where is this coming from? It's coming from Scripture. This is the primary influence. This is the primary source that is reflected In the thanksgiving hymns of the Qumran community. Not Stoicism. Why why would you look to Stoicism? The Stoics don't have a God who does these things. They don't have personal revelation in this way. Why would you even think to look there? Oh, the determinism thing. And we don't want to find that in Isaiah. We don't want to find that in the Psalter. We don't all find that in Jeremiah. But it's there. That's the point. It's there and it's there clearly, it's there compellingly. But they don't believe that. The provisionists don't have a divine decree. And so they've got to look elsewhere. Got to look elsewhere. There you go. So I got to show off the Isaiah scroll, I got to talk about Qumran read from that stuff, and talk about God's absolute sovereignty. It is really, really cool to get to do all that. I'm going to close these things out so I've got my Bible program back. Sometimes I just don't have enough room left on the screen um, for, for, my, Bible, for all my Bible stuff. Okay, now. Um, okay, that was 45 minutes. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's not too bad. I, I, I was somewhat self-controlled. Um, you're wondering what I've got here. A little flavored water. A little apple cider vinegar. Oh, yeah. Us old folks need that stuff. All right. Now, so I go back to the dissertation, and you go, oh, no, eh, we're going to the subject. So I go to the conclusion. The conclusion. Now, what's interesting is normally what you're going to present in your conclusion means that you have substantiated the assertions you make in your conclusion in the argumentation of your dissertation itself, in the body. Um, Let me read the first portion of the, let me read the first two paragraphs. Of the conclusion, this is for those of you who want to look these things up. Page two hundred and seventy-three, at least in the PDF format. I didn't look at the paper to should should be the same. Imagine the paper is just printed off the PDF, anyways. Early Christian authors, half scare quote, unanimously, half scare quote, taught relational, eternal predetermination wherein God-elected persons according to foreknowledge of their faith parentheses, predestination, parentheses in opposition to Stoic providence and Gnostic slash Manichean unilateral determinism. That's the first sentence. While teaching predestination, Christians refuted Divine, unilateral, predetermination of individuals' eternal destinies, dubied Identified in ancient Iranian religion, then chronologically in the Qumranites, Gnosticism, Neoplatonism, and Manichaeism. Heretics such as Basilides, who taught God's unilateral gift of faith, were condemned. Of the 84 pre-Augustinian authors studied from 95 to 430 CE, 50 addressed the topic. It's about 60% by that particular, those particular numbers. All 50 of these early Christian authors championed traditional free choice against pagan and heretical divine unilateral predetermination of individuals' eternal destinies, see Appendix 3. Now, that's just the first paragraph. That means it is central in Wilson's thought to identify what he calls duped, which we, we we've already demonstrated. Just in what we, you already have been given information to recognize the number of errors in what we just read, categorical errors. Um, the differences between Gnosticism, the Qumran community, Manichaeism, etc. So as to identify a single concept, running through all of them is a horrific abuse of history, philosophy, and theology. But it is central to the conclusion of this dissertation. Second paragraph. Like Athanasius, now that Okay, I'll comment in a second. Like Athanasius, they understood Ephesians 1 4. Kathos ex Let me get the way. Hemos en auto pra katabales cosmu. So that's Ephesians 1 4. They understood Ephesians 1.4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. As only proper. Okay. This is why I like my other PDF program rather than doing it online. Because I'd like. Oh, there it is. There you go. Zoom is your friend. <laughs> Zoom is. I need the large print. Even my Bible's been large print for quite some time now. Now we're to the large print version of the PDF. <laughs> like Athanasius, the Understood features has been four just as he chose us in him before the revelation of the world, as only proper to a God whose foreknowledge affected, with an A, affected Providence, capital P, reference C.AR.2.75-77. We will come back. Foreknowledge, again put in half scare quotes, of future free choice explained God electing persons to eternal life, similar to McCall's modern supervenience of truth argument concerning omniscience and free choice. They concurred with Kikoro's de fato 1127 to 28 solution. God's knowledge, listen to this. So, All Christians before Augustine all agreed with Cicero. You've heard it called Cicero as well. Depends on how you pronounce your Latin. Retained God's I'm sorry. The solution is God's knowledge is restricted to cognition not causation. But contra Cicero Retained God's infallible, omniscient foreknowledge. This regula fide of traditional free choice may be a rare example of genuine unanimity throughout Christendom. End of paragraph. Even identifies it as a regula fide. Rule of faith. A regular fee day, so obviously, this is extremely important, is it not? Yes, it is, yes, it is, but what caught my attention and why I'm addressing it today is you say something about Athanasius and you're going to get my attention, probably my favorite early church father uh I've written papers on him um. I try to let Athanasius be Athanasius. I try not... I, Athanasius was not a Reformed Baptist, unlike what some Roman Catholics tried to say uh, years ago. But neither was he a Roman Catholic by any stretch of the imagination. Remember, Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius against the world. Athanasius the one willing to stand up for the deity of Christ and defend the deity of Christ even when pretty much everybody else had given way, including the Bishop of Rome. When condemned by... Uh, kicked out of his church five different times when condemned by councils. He did not take the Roman Catholic perspective on those issues of authority. Scripture is sufficient above all things, was his statement. So, yes. And then, of course, Athanasius' 39th Festal Letter, his identification of the canon of Scripture, um, of the New Testament, I mean, uh, all that stuff. You've heard me talk about Athanasius. So when I see Athanasius mentioned, I I have a question. If this is in the conclusion, then certainly there's been a discussion of Athanasius before this, right? Um, No. So I did this search last night. I'll do it again here on the thing and when i look through the entirety of the book the entirety um athanasius only appears a very 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 few, t- few times and there's nothing that is actually there there's only 3 times not including there's 2 times not including the abbreviations portion at the beginning of the, of the dissertation. Before this, there's no discussion of Athanasius' theology. So why does it appear in the conclusion in this statement? Well, what did that lead me to do? Hmm. It sounds like this is saying that Athanasius understood Ephesians 1.4 as only proper to a God whose foreknowledge affected providence. Foreknowledge affected providence? Well, if providence is divine action in time, then, in other words, when I look up this reference, c.ar.2.75-77, what I'm going to find is I'm going to find Athanasius arguing that God... Use Acts on the basis of his foreknowledge as to what he can do in time. That's what that's going to be about, right? Is that what you'd understand that as? Well, what's C.AR? That's easy. Contra Arianus. Against the Aryans. And so I did a little digging around last night. And I not only have the text in English, tracked it down in Greek as well. Yes, we want to be able to do this well. Unfortunately, even my word processor does not have. uh, Let's see. I would like to be able to select all, please okay, it's not letting me do that edit uh select all, and there's the oh, that's not letting me do that. oh well, I might have to use my might have to use my reading glasses even for this anyway, it was bigger on this bigger screen at home uh, so ready for athanasius? hey, we've been reading we we're we're only moving. 450, about half a millennium forward. Not a full half a millennium, but half a millennium forward. But it could be a full... Yeah, d- depending on where we put those hymns, most of them date them in the, before the first century, before the time of Christ, of course, but they could have been composed before then. So maybe even the century before that. So, yeah, we're we're looking right at about half a half a millennium, because um, Athanasius dies 373. Um, so... Yeah, 470 to you know, 500 years, right? Right, Half a millennium into the future. Does, is Athanasius talking about what it seems Ken Wilson was intimating he was talking about? I shall let you judge for yourself by providing the material. Athanasius, writing against the Arians. What did the Arians teach? That Jesus was an exalted creature highly exalted powerful through whom god creates a but a creature okay for he says not before the world he that, what's he doing i'm sorry he's ex, he's going to be addressing particular texts especially wisdom in proverbs 18 which <laughs> if you ever talked to jehovah's witness you got hit with that one yourself so not much has changed over the years that's why Studying church history can be very helpful for us even today in all of our uh, apologetic work. For he says not, before the world he founded me as word or son, but simply he founded me to show again, as I have said, that not for his own sake, but for those who are built upon him, does he here also speak after the way of Proverbs. For this knowing, the apostle also writes, other foundation can no man lay, than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And it must be that the foundation should be such as the thing things built on it, that they may admit of being well compacted together, or well built. Being then the word, he was not as word any such as himself, who may be compacted with him, for he is only begotten. But having become man, he has the like of him, whose, namely, the likeness of whose flesh he has put on. Therefore, according to his manhood, he is rounded that we as precious stones may admit of building upon him and may become a temple of the Holy Ghost who dwells in us. And as he is a foundation and we stones built upon him, so again he is a vine and we knit to him as branches, not according to the essence of the Godhead, for this surely is impossible, but according to his manhood, For the branches must be like the vine, since we are like him according to the flesh. Moreover, since the heretics have such human notions, we may suitably confute them with human resemblances contained in the very matter they urge. Thus he does not say, he made me a foundation, lest he might seem to be made and to have a beginning of being, and they might thence find a shameless occasion of irreligion, but he founded me. Now, what is founded is founded for the sake of the stones which are raised upon it. It is not a random process, but a stone is first transported from the mountain and set down in the depth of the earth. And while a stone is in the mountain, it is not yet founded. But when need demands and it is transported and laid in the depth of the earth, then forthwith, if the stone could speak, it would say, he now founded me who brought me hither from the mountain. Therefore, the Lord also did not, when rounded, take a beginning of existence, for he was the Word before that. But when he put on our body, which he severed and took from Mary, then he says, He hath founded me, as much as to say, Me being the Word, he hath enveloped in a body of earth. For so he is founded for our sakes taking on him what is ours, that we, as incorporated and compacted and bound together in him, through the likeness of the flesh, may attain unto a perfect man and abide immortal and incorruptible. That's the preceding section. I'm giving you context, which is always important to do. Nor let the words before the world and before he made the earth and before the mountains were settled disturb anyone, for they very well accord with founded and created. For here again, allusion is made to the economy according to the flesh. For though the grace which came to us from the Savior appeared, as the Apostle says, just now, and has come when he sojourned among us, yet this grace had been prepared even before we came into being, nay, before the foundation of the world. And the reason why is kindly and wonderful. It beseemed not that God should counsel concerning us afterwards, lest he should appear ignorant of our fate. The God of all, then, creating us by his own word and knowing our destinies better than we, and foreseeing that being made good, we should in the event be transgressors of the commandment and be thrust out of paradise for disobedience, being loving and kind, prepared beforehand in his own word by whom also he created us, the economy of our salvation." that though by the serpent's deceit we fell from him, we might not remain quite dead, but having in the word the redemption and salvation which has afore prepared for us, we might rise again and abide immortal, what time he should have been created for us, a beginning of the ways, and he who was the firstborn of creation should become firstborn of the brethren. Sorry, I know it's going to happen. When I try to scroll with this thing, it jumps around. Mmm. prayer for Me, my the Firstborn, firstborn, firstborn. For, for, there it is. Firstborn of the brethren. Sorry, the prince. Real small. In fact, I'm even going to go ahead and. And again, should rise, firstfruits of the dead. This Paul, the blessed apostle, teaches in his writings. For as interpreting the words of the proverbs before the world and before the earth was, he thus speaks to Timothy. "...be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us to the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought to light life. And to the Ephesians, "...blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Next paragraph. That's the the text, by the way. How then has he chosen us before we came into existence? But that, as he says himself, in him we were represented beforehand. And how at all, before men were created, did he predestinate us unto adoption, but that the Son himself was founded before the world, taking on him that economy which was for our sake." Or how, as the Apostle goes on to say, have we an inheritance being predestined, but that the Lord himself was founded before the world inasmuch as he had a purpose for our sakes to take on him through the flesh all the inheritance of judgment which lay against us, and we henceforth were made sons in him. Um, Okay. And how did we receive it before the world was, when we were not yet in being, but afterwards in time, but that in Christ was stored the grace which has reached us? Wherefore, also in judgment, when every one shall receive according to his conduct, he says, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." How then, or in whom was it prepared before we came to be? Save in the Lord, who before the world was founded for this purpose, that we as built upon him might partake as well-compacted stones, the life and grace which is from him. So, that was a long one, I know. That's sections 74, 75, and 76 from Contra Arianos. Now, if you missed the whole discussion of how, uh, let me pull up the direct quote again. Like Athanasius, they understood Ephesians 1.4 as only proper to a God whose foreknowledge affected providence. If you missed that, that's because that's not what Athanasius was discussing. The context... Is explaining the pre existence of the Son in light of such texts as the use of Proverbs describing wisdom being founded. And so there is reference made to God's knowledge of future events, but it's all about who Jesus is. It's all about his eternal nature. It's about well, because that's what the argument with the Arians was all about to begin with. And so he's talking about before the foundation of the world in light of the centrality of Christ's role in that which can only be the case if Christ is eternal and not a creature as the Arians said. So The statement in the conclusion is difficult to understand as much in this dissertation is because it's very, very poorly written, expressed just terribly. Um, But my gut feeling is the defense would be derived from the reality that God knew that there is going to be a need. The question is, is that knowledge passive or active? There is no discussion of this. There is no... You have the one in section 75 creating us by his own word and knowing our destinies better than we. And foreseeing that being made good, we should in the event be transgressors of the commandment. So, God knows what's going to happen better than we did because we didn't exist so my guess would be that that is somehow the connection to foreknowledge in some way Um, let me um, yeah I should have gone earlier than that. that that would be my my guess as to where that's coming from But that is mentioned, and this is what illustrates something that I'm getting a little frustrated about, and so I wanted to address it today. I started responding to this stuff many weeks ago. And one of the things that I said, and one of the things that just people are ignoring, I have people on Twitter contacting me and saying, Hey, how come you disagree with all these other people that said that um, these early church fathers believe this and you're saying they believe something else? I when I began providing background information, what what were the provisionists doing? <laughs> Red herrings, just get to the dissertation. I mean, come on, you know, get the dissertation. This will blow everything. You won't you won't have any ability to respond to any of this stuff. Just quit. Wasting time, just get the dissertation, blah, blah, blah. blah, All that stuff. They weren't listening. They were listening. I I have no reason to believe. I have no reason to believe. It did not fall. It just doesn't seem to be as high as it used to be. I want to, we're going to have to raise this up a little bit. I have no reason to believe these folks are listening to what I'm saying even now. Did you not hear me say that I have said from the beginning before my eyes fell upon a single word in this book before I listened to any of the interviews the latent flower is done flowers are done with uh, Ken Wilson I said that the first debate and discussion on the specific topic of the sovereign will of God and how it relates to grace, atonement, salvation, and the identity of the elect takes place beginning right at the end of the 4th century, beginning of the 5th century. I said that Augustine dealt with one primary controversy in the beginning of his life, another at the end of his life, and this resulted in what? Contradiction in Augustine. I pointed out I was delivering lectures on that subject before Ken Wilson had a master's degree from Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. I was talking about this in the 90s. And that's because I learned from others who taught me these things, like B.B. Warfield, who Wilson quotes in the shorter book. So the only evidence upon which you can build this alleged unanimity, now we've already poked holes in that, looking at... um, Clement, looking at uh, Diagnetus, we've already demonstrated that there is evidence there that would have to be that, was, that is not dealt with by Wilson in the dissertation in a meaningful fashion at all. We've already, already documented that. So, so much for the conclusion and unanimity and all the rest of that stuff. But the reality is that no one has disputed for a second that the formulation in its totality that Augustine arrives at was a first. There were elements of before that. Some of the places where Wilson is wrong is saying no one believed in faith as a gift other than heretics. That's not true. We'll document that. Um, there were He's totally blown it in regards to the concept of baptism in the people before. He, he just does not understand the complexity of that particular perspective uh, and the writings before that at all, there are all those types of errors, but those are ancillary to the reality that you can look at those who wrote before Augustine and come to tentative conclusions, but you cannot say, oh, they would have stood here because the argument wasn't happening yet. And then I illustrated that by looking at people, for example, like Tertullian, who utilize examples and language that later generations would find to be inappropriate and even heretical. But we don't condemn them because they were writing and speaking before those issues were actually addressed by the church as a whole. So maybe you all were just bored by my presentation, but you weren't listening. So when you come after me on Twitter and say, oh, well, what about what Calvin said? Or what about what this historian said? You're assuming that I'm saying that before Augustine, there were people who had an Augustinian definition. I've never said that. What I've said is there were people that had an apostolic definition, Definition, such as in Clement and the Epistle to Diognetus, and then there was a mixture. There were those that had really non-apostolic perspectives, such as in the Epistle of Barnabas or in the Shepherd of Hermas, and then you start getting a bunch of mixtures of traditions with Irenaeus and his capitula- recapitulation theory, and Tertullian going off the Montanists, and and Justin with his with his every type of Greek philosophy functioning as a filter as he's reading the text of Scripture and everything else to pretend, and it is pretense, that there is a unanimity on some kind of dupied is heretical Gnostic Manichaeism which which was rejected by the church is just absurd, on its face absurd. It, it so flattens out and simplifies the history that goes before the period of Augustine that it is indefensible. And yes, I will debate Ken Wilson on that. I've said that. Why are there people on Twitter going, you'll never debate Ken Wilson. You're afraid. You What I've said is, once we get done with this, I don't think he'll want to debate me. Because I wouldn't want to have to defend something I've written against the kind of documentation that's already been presented and there is so much more to come. I mean, I don't even know how it would be done. To be honest with you right now, the amount of time would be incredible to to be able to even address half these subjects. But I can think of some really good, the 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 concluding stuff in here, the conclusion in here, the concluding stuff would be well worth a good debate. Well worth it. All I've said is, um, have you noticed, we're not flying planes around very much right now. And we've had to cancel everything we were going to be doing this spring. And when I cancel something in something light like, of something like this, it gets priority in getting rescheduled. That's called having some level of integrity. And there are people actually going, oh, you're, you're running your chicken. Oh, please. Give me a break. So, I've never disputed the statement that Augustine is the first one to codify things the way that he did. I have disputed the idea there is a unanimity before him. There isn't because they weren't debating it. It wasn't the issue that was being addressed here in Athanasius. What is he talking about? What is his focus upon? Who Jesus is and his eternal nature against the Arians. Now, you can try to derive from that some type of a concept that, well, you know, that means that he only believed that, uh, he didn't believe that God, see, that, 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 that wouldn't even work either. Be- obviously, he has a much higher view, even at this point in, in what we're reading right here, because he's talking about Christ as the one who it, that we are being united to before even our creation. So, I mean, he's got a higher view than, than what's being attributed here in the first place. So, that wouldn't even work. But the point is, that's not what Athanasius is talking about. He is not, that is not a focus. That is, well, yeah, he's talking about the eternality of Christ. But um, I think we can derive from this that he may have believed something like that, something like this. That's the problem. These words are written 50 years uh, prior to Augustine's engagement on those particular subjects. Um, And so to try to make, make up this universal consensus, this unanimity, and then attach it to some modern definition, and then say, and all of them were opposed to this nebulous we can put anything in here we can put the stoics in here we can put all the gnostics in here we can put all the manichaeans in here um and they are all opposed to this um is where the real problem lies that's just not sustainable from the sources themselves so um there you go um and like I said, there's just there's this every time I sit down and I get to the next paragraph, that's as far as I get because that sends you off into the original sources and in the original languages and doing cross references and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Um, that's why I'm in no hurry, and you guys. You can be in all-here-you-want. Hey, Leighton, you can keep cranking out three. I know this is your job. This is, this is what you do. I mean, I'll be honest. Are Texas Baptists aware of the fact that the person in charge of evangelism for Texas Baptists, as he himself has described, pretty much spends all of his time arguing about Calvinism? It is the Texas Baptist's only concern. Okay. Rich, Rich verifies that, that that's okay because that is the only concern of Texas Baptist, um, which it might be, sadly. Uh, who knows these days? Um, but, Layton, you, Layton, help me out here. You say that when I point out that you were misciting stuff, you miscited Clement, which you did, um, that this is a red herring and that I am focusing upon you rather than Ken Wilson. Um, you're the one promoting them, okay? And you, I should be dealing with the dissertation. Then I start dealing with dissertation, and all of a sudden you're cranking out three-hour videos. Who's producing the red herring here? <laughs> That's what I'd like to know. I don't know. Um, and someone, wait, 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 um, friend of mine who knows who he is and is probably listening right now. Friend of mine um, sent me an outline of what he, he listened to the beginning of um, Leighton's stuff, Leighton's three hour thing. Oh, good grief. It had to have been after this. You're going, he really? Okay. Here's 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 how we um put it. All those quoted names, there was a bunch of uh here we go. Stop rolling. Uh, R.C. Sprawl, Piper, Bavink, uh, Peterson, Burkoff. All those quoted names wrote that before Augustine, synergy was the understanding of the Apostolic Fathers. Um now, I don't know if any of them were addressing what I've addressed in Clement or what I've addressed in Diagnetus or not Um, but the argument is that um, I'm setting myself up as a new authority against people. no I'm not Um, if you read what I've actually read, written or listened to what I've said I just clarified all that And then there was something about the debate. So once again, when current commitments and those canceled by the worldwide panic are dealt with properly, rescheduled, etc. I will debate Ken Wilson on his assertions. Gladly. Gladly. I already have more than enough to do it. The question is going to be, how do I prune my material down? How do I get it down to something that's even understandable? So if any of you are running around saying, oh, he'll never do it, you are wrong. And I have 174 debates worth to prove you're wrong. Be glad to do it. It'll be useful. It just needs to be done the proper time. And between now and then, I'm going to keep teaching people about how to do history and how to look at categories and topics and read in context and be fair in argumentation. Is that okay? Well, even if it isn't for you, you can't stop me. So we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. So there you go. All right. Um, Yeah, I'd say that's pretty much it. Don't forget that tomorrow we are going to be joined by Jason Lyle, Biblical Science Institute. We are going to be talking star stuff and Albirio and Saturn. And, you know, he's a presuppositionalist, too. So who knows? Maybe we'll get into all of that. Uh, But it's always fun to talk with Jason Lyle. And so that's what we're going to be doing tomorrow. I hope you'll tune in. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. God bless.